0: I'm Stephanie Cox, and this is Mobile Matters. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Bonici. Ryan's the chief marketing officer at G2, previously known as G2 Crowd, one of the world's most influential CMOs in 2019, according to Forbes, and a keynote speaker. Prior to G2, he had leadership positions at HubSpot, Salesforce, ExactTarget, and Microsoft. In this episode, Ryan and I talk a lot about his desire to be a CMO at the age of 10, how he was able to jump one to two levels with each job change he made, and while he'll never have inbox zero, and he's okay with that. And make sure you stick around to the very end, where I'll give my recap and top takeaways so that you can not only think about marketing differently, but implement it effectively. Welcome to the show, Ryan. How did you get from you know fresh out of school to being the CMO at a really well-known B2B brand at such a young age?
1: Good question. Gosh, big question. Um, <laughs> how did I get here? Um, I don't know. You know, I so I was one of those kids that um, at a really young age, like around ten or something, just weirdly knew that I wanted to be a CMO. Which, again, what like what is going on with me? Who does that? I don't know. Like, um, so a a that's weird. I wanted. To, I knew that I wanted to be a CMO at like ten, and then to make matters even weirder, I knew that I wanted to be a CMO. Within the next twenty years, so by the age of thirty. So again, very weird kid. Um, and you know, I think long term. Long story short, through a lot of therapy, I guess I have worked out that like career for me was really kind of one of those things that I leaned on to help me feel like I had self worth and to help me have self esteem because you know deep down I didn't have that, and so like external achievement was how I felt loved (laughs) long story short but I'll tell you and that's from you know a hot mess of like bullying as a kid and parents breaking up and all of that fun stuff but um so anyway I you know I think having kind of like that knowledge of what I wanted to be at a really young age it kind of just helped me focus really early so um you know I was able to kind of like really focus on my career and really just double down in marketing and not really I didn't really like waste time doing other things, other different things. Um, you know, I actually had a stint where I took a few years off, and I was an international flight attendant with Qantas. Which actually, where I was like, I met um, an executive at Microsoft who then told me that they were hiring graduates, and that was kind of how I got like my first job in marketing at Microsoft. But um yeah, it was um, it was been a journey.
0: So thinking back to that. I- Are most of the roles that you've found, is it been because you've been looking for the next thing or is it because people are coming after you? I know, you know, recently you were on the, I believe Forbes CMO list. And I know, because I... Obviously, we are connected on Instagram. You're constantly getting messages about people trying to to steal you away from G2, which you've been very clear they're not going to be able to do. But how has that been when you've jumped from, you know, I would say well-known brand to another well-known brand? Has that been a point in time where you're like, yeah, I'm ready to move on to what's next? Or has it been opportunistic? Tell me a little bit about that journey.
1: Good question. Um, It's been a bit of both. What I would say, though, is so for me... um, you know, I've loved all my jobs, like genuinely, like I have loved what I've done. Like I have learned so much. I've had so much fun. And, you know, if you look at my career, kind of at every promotion, I like typically jump up a level or two. Um, and, and I, the reason why I say that is interesting is that like, I'm like one of those people that like, unless I feel like I am really being challenged, um, unless I am really under the pump, like I just get bored really easily. And so, um, you know, again, I still need to work on a lot of that, I think in therapy, but, um, so I've, you know, I've jumped up really, really quickly. And I think a big part of where that came from for me was that I kind of view me and my job and my impact is that like, when I join a new business typically takes me what, like anywhere from three to nine months or something to like get up to speed and to know everything about the business, not everything, but like to know, as much as the average person at that company in in my role, mm-hmm. I guess, is kind of how I think about it. So it took me maybe like – I think it took me a good maybe 9 to 12 months actually at HubSpot to, to get to a point where I was like, okay, I feel like I am – as good of a marketer now as everyone else on the team as the average of the team and at that point that's because I've, I've been able to learn and work with amazing people and then once i kind of then learn that and i feel like i'm at a point where i can start to excel and push the business forward i always want to do that right and so in typically year two is when i'll start to like come together and create and launch some big campaigns or big sales support ideas or or just big impactful things. And it's because I've taken my time during, you know, the first three to nine months or so to, to to learn how to do what it is that I need to do in this job and to tick those boxes that, you know, my boss or the board or whomever is asking of me. And it's like only at that one year point typically I find that then I've, I've worked out how to – I've worked out the mastery, I guess – without sounding like an ego dude, but like I've worked out like a way to like master and own those metrics so that like I can reliably hit what I need to do. And that's when I then start to explore and look at like more creative things that we could do as a company. And so typically in all the companies I've worked year two is years two and three have been really when I've been able to drive, you know, really significant quantifiable impact at the companies that I've worked at. And so interestingly though, after I have those like big wins, I you know, I start to get a little bit bored, I guess. Um, And, you know, if the company can help support me and give me more bigger challenges quicker, then I'll totally stay around. And if they can't, like, you know, it's obviously a a weighing up situation of, um, you know, is there still more stuff that I can learn from this company? Have I been at the company long enough? Um, And I also think about too, like, you know, I don't, I would never want to leave a company without like having to having been able to really measurably impact the bottom line for that business, like then I would feel like a failure. So Mm -hmm. it's really at the point where I've done that, that's when I start to need more bigger challenges. Otherwise I I start to get a little bit, yeah, a little bit bored. And that's where I want to take on a new challenge. And so, you know, I think it's more so than at that point in time, that's when I start to be more receptive, I guess, to offers from the outside. Because to your point, yeah. Like, you know, I, I think, when I joined G2, I remember like in my second month, like I was still getting things from recruiters with offers and I was like, guys, I just started here. Like, you like know, unless this company was like horrible and it's not. I love it here. Like, you know, it would be pretty odd for like someone to leave 2 months in. So, um, so recruiters are there all the time. They might be there more like when you're getting like like longer tenure at a company just because like they view you as a bit more of like a target of someone that might be ready, but Um, yeah, that's kind of the the offers have always been there. I think for me, and and I'm super open with my boss and my team about this is like, if someone reaches out to me about an offer, um, if it's interesting and the company's interesting and the role's interesting, I will totally take that call. And I tell my team to do that as well, because, you know, I genuinely believe that, um, you know, like, I'm in this world to do good. And that starts with like doing stuff that challenges me that excites me that that I'm learning from. And so if I have a bigger opportunities elsewhere that are better for me, I will take them and I feel the same about my team. Now that said, you know, the reason why I say that to them is that like, you know, if you do find these other opportunities elsewhere, and it's just about pay or something like that, that's that you're thinking about it, like, let me know because like, if you are a rock star on the team, like we will do whatever we can to keep you um but if not like totally fine no hard feelings like go to that new gig with more money but the reality is they're probably paying you more because like the work isn't going to be as fun or they're struggling to get people because they don't have a great company culture or the product isn't great or there's just so many layers to it so yeah. um yeah that's kind of how i've i've always thought about it and when i've moved it's been you know, sometimes it's been opportunistic. Like the G two one was, like they reached out to me um, through, you know, a, a connection, and I spoke to them, and I love what they were doing, but I wasn't ready to leave HubSpot. And then they reconnected with me maybe a year later, and at that time, I was ready. Like I, I wasn't finding that I was learning at the pace that I wanted to keep learning at. Um, but you know, when I joined HubSpot, that was, um, that was very much, I think, I led that process. You know, I'd been at ET for a while, then Salesforce, and you know, full transparency. I didn't really love the company that I had joined all that much as I started to get more into the politics of it. Um, that said, you mm-hmm. know, I think there's a ton of things that they do, Salesforce incredibly well, um, and what a machine that they built. Um, but for me, I was still super young in my career. And so I didn't want to get, I didn't want my skill and learnings to be now about politics and doing internal meetings. Like I felt like I had far too much like hardcore real ROI focused marketing to, to learn and to do. And so, you know, who else better than to join HubSpot, you know, one of the, the world's best marketing companies and some of the world's best marketers. And so, you know, gosh, I credit HubSpot everything to, to be honest, um, because I felt like I learned so much there and, um, and I was just so fortunate to work with some of the smartest, most incredibly lovely humans. So yeah, I really did enjoy HubSpot. Well,
0: it's interesting what you said about your team and taking convert like meetings with outside opportunities. I tell my team the exact same thing, and part of it is because one, especially in the tech world, it is so interconnected. At some point, you will work with the same people again, no matter where you are in the country and sometimes the world. And so always take a conversation because you never know. And for me, you know, like I'm super happy where I'm at, but I'll listen to people because I may not be interested, but I may know someone else who would be a good fit. And so passing on that type of stuff is super helpful. But with my team, I tell them like, there is going to be a point where you're ready for the next step in your career that where it's time for you to go up a level or two. And I can't give you that. And that's okay but I will help you find it.
1: I love that. That's such a great way to think about it.
0: So, and, and that, that's why I think people come, to, they want to work for you again. That's why, you know, people will follow you different places that you go as a leader because they yeah. truly believe that. And I always say like your biggest failure of leadership around, you know, if you have a team is I'm never surprised when someone leaves Yeah. because we've been talking about it <laughs> typically for months around kind of their feelings their thoughts where i think they're at where they think they're at can i you know can i get them to a place you know where they have additional responsibilities or a different type of role where they're at today or is that not possible and how can i help them find a place that i know they'll be happy and successful where they can have those things and i think i wish more people were like that
1: yeah i think it's got to be realistic to you know the the industry today um and you know i i'm i'm very well aware that i won't be at g2 forever right like um and i don't think anyone should <laughs> um and you know no judgement if you want to be there forever um that's fine but you know i think most people want to keep learning they want bigger challenges and um yeah so yeah i'm i'm a big proponent of that and i think it's i would never want to hold on to someone and stop them from growing and learning so yeah
0: Say, I'm the same way. So, one of the things that you were talking about earlier was this idea around like growth in your career and, you know, how that helped you from a self worth perspective. Where, so one of the big topics, right, is around this like imposter syndrome and how, you know, you see on social media all of these marketers or other tech leaders that seem to have all their shit together. And, you know, like I know for me personally, I'm like, oh man, like I look at all this stuff and I'm like, am I as talented as they are? And, you know, then you have opportunities where you realize, yes, I am. But how do you handle that and think about that? Because to me, the more marketing leaders I talk to, the more they say, like, I have imposter syndrome, too. And we all feel like imposters on some level at some point in a given week.
1: Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, gosh, the way how do I think about that? Um, you know, I I often feel like you know an imposter um I guess what I would say though typically is and the reason why I'd say often feel like that or I have at many points in my career is just that you know like if you uh, whenever I have joined a company like I typically join at a level or two above where I was before so i have like I've jumped up considerably and so I always feel like hell out of (laughs) out of my depth to a certain degree um and, you know, like, take, I mean, gosh, talk about imposter syndrome. I felt like the world's biggest imposter when I joined G2, right? Like, you know, I, yes, I, you know, was working at HubSpot, an amazing company. I had lots of great experiences in my career, but, you know, moving from kind of senior director straight to CMO without being a, like a VP. And, mm-hmm. you know, most people are VP for like three, four years yep. at like companies before or, or multiple VP roles, right? Like, it's, you, it's not that common and so gosh talk about imposter syndrome like i felt it to the bone to the <laughs> core like to the point where actually this is embarrassing i've never told anyone this but i um when i first joined g2 when i knew i was getting the job i oddly went and got a tom ford suit made like I, shit you know, i spent like twelve thousand dollars on a <laughs> suit that like i wore like for the first maybe like three weeks and i was like this this is so not me. Like <laughs> I am not. You're not a suit guy. And shirt kind of guy. Like I love suits. Like in terms of like you look so dapper and shit. But at the re- the reality is they are the world's most uncomfortable things. Like you cannot move around at all in them. Correct. And so. Anyway, so but but it's funny because I've never thought about this, but that was like clearly me. I felt like such an imposter that I was like, oh my God, I need like a really fancy suit to like prove that I can take this role on. And long story short, I think the way like I work through that, you know, you know, A, it would be great not to feel it, but maybe, I don't know if that's even possible if you want to take on roles that are, you know, bigger and better than what you've done before, which I have a tendency to do, but Um, I think for me, the biggest way I overcome it is by just hitting the goals that I was tasked with hitting and, you know, ideally crushing them and overachieving on them significantly. And then I feel like, oh, you know what? I'm actually not an imposter. I was meant to be here. And, you know, when I say that in hindsight, it sounds really lovely, but actually going from the feeling of being an imposter to then hitting your goals is like an incredibly stressful process to the point where, you know, I've never... I had never had antidepressants before and, you know, last year I started taking them and I literally actually about a month ago just like quit cold turkey and touch wood. I haven't had any like negative depressive rebound episodes too much, but um, that was like and I would have actually previously been pretty like judgmental maybe or or maybe not judgmental, but I would have kind of judged myself if I thought I needed that. But I just was getting so depressed because like my whole entire worth was focused on like whether I hit my marketing revenue goals and my traffic goals and all of that. And, um, you know, that was, that sucked. We got there though. And I felt a lot better obviously, but at the same time, like I realized that like, Hey, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be putting myself under this kind of pressure. And you know, you can fail Ryan. It is okay to fail at something. (laughs) You don't have to hit all of your metrics. And, um, and that's easy to say in hindsight, right? Um, because we didn't fail. And, but so, But I'm hoping with a lot of therapy and I go twice a week because I love my <laughs> therapist. she is the bomb. Um, you know, that has really been great. But, you know, it's painful going through some of those like and ripping open old wounds from like a very young age. But um, it's making me better at home. It's making me better at work. And so I'm all for it.
0: Well, one of the things that you said that I thought was – really interesting kind of tied to that is around hitting your goals and you know like this weight you kind of feel that gets lifted off you once you do it and how you feel like you know I am kick-ass I do know what I'm doing but then I find it it creates like the next new problem which is now you've hit your goals now your goals are higher Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's kind of like this constant circle and while you might feel I know like for me I always tell my team that's like when you do great work comes what people don't realize a lot of times comes more responsibility and higher expectations. And you're constantly in this desire to exceed. I know for me personally, like I always, I like to win. So I'm always constantly focused on, you know, not just hunting numbers, but exceeding them. And then at some point, you know, you grow revenue. Let's say for instance, you know, you kill your numbers, you're like 120% of goal. And then now that becomes your new goal plus some, and you're, yeah. it's kind of like this vicious cycle a little bit. So how do you deal with like, even when you are successful, you know, from, for us, right? Like today's the start of a new quarter. we are starting mm. all over from scratch ag- again to summit, you know, and I know a lot of marketers and salespeople kind of feel that. So how do you balance, you know, one day you feel like you're winning the next day you feel like, well, we're starting all over again. How do I, how do I handle that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I interestingly don't often feel that way, actually, because I I think what I try and do is typically in my first, you know, six to 12 months at the company, I build the resources I need to like consistently and reliably hit my goals so that when they do grow, like I can still hit them and or or that I sorry, I've, I've already got like the structures in place. Now I just need to scale that up. But the system is already working. So I, I don't I interestingly can rarely say I've experienced that actually. It sounds um, yeah, <laughs> it sounds like it would. I mean, I think I, that doesn't mean that I don't feel like the pressure of hitting our goals, but I don't think yeah. it's it's a different feeling maybe. And like once I'm past that imposter syndrome, because I feel like oh I've proven myself. Like I might not be able to continue hitting these goals or this kind of growth, but like I've proven myself already that I can and um so yeah i wouldn't feel as bad about it at that point in time that said though i think you know my team right now is on track to hit all their goals for this year and so i feel good about that but um yeah but i also kind of think as well right like i'm trying to do a better job now at um not thinking of myself as just you know my whole self-worth is based on my success at work and me hitting my goals you know i can still be let's say i was failing at my goals like i should be able to still go home and know that based on the other things that i value and you know like my friendships and how i am as a person to others and to my wife kate and and all of that stuff like that now gives me a lot of value inherently that that no results can take away um at work which helps for sure but um yeah i don't know if that helps
0: so one of the things that you talk a lot about I and mean, we've talked about today and you share a lot on social is a really around like mental health. And this, you know, part of that is this idea that we're constantly connected as just both people from our personal life to our professional life. So if you think back to technology, like just in your career, what impact has that had on the workplace for you and this need to feel like you have to be constantly Connected or available?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, how do we think about it? Um, I don't think technology is to blame, ultimately. Um, I really think it just like I don't think, you know, you hear people say that, like, you no, know, humans today, we're all drones. You know, if you look on a train around, everyone has their head in a phone. But, you know, if you took a snapshot of that like 50 years prior, everyone would have had a newspaper in their hand, right? Like, just human nature is that we yep. crave stimulation and our attentions are short. And so um, you know, whether it's a newspaper or a phone, like a newspaper, I think previously just there wasn't as much stigma around it because it was like, oh, that person can only be learning. But really it's actually less about what you're doing. And it's like what what is what you are doing filling a gap for you, right? So for me as an example, you know, when I am mindlessly scrolling on social, it's got nothing to do with social. It's the fact that like I am probably stressed out and I'm avoiding like facing my emotions and I'm pretending that they are not there. And so I'm trying to numb out with Facebook, with food, with TV. Um, and so I think the the technology just means you need to be, I think, more more uh, what's the word more kind of intentional maybe with you know how you use it right because you know a newspaper let's just Mm -hmm. use the newspaper analogy again like a newspaper can't interrupt you right it is not electronic whereas a phone can and part of that is what you want like you want to be alerted when there is important thing but you don't want to always and so the way I've I guess been intentional with my phone is that a I don't get any work push notifications on my phone like zero like at all in the daytime the only way I know that there is Like a Slack message or an email is if I open up the app and then my emails and my texts, et cetera, load. So I just like flat out created that. And and I didn't do that initially at G2 because, you know, I got to a certain point where I was like at breaking point, you know, and I was pretty, I was down in the dumps really deep. And it was just that I was being hit up like, you know, a hundred times a day on LinkedIn. I was getting tweets and mentions and I was getting emails from work and I was getting Slacks and I was getting like, questions from our board and it just there was so much like um noise that I just was about to implode and so I decided to just turn all them off and like set really good kind of like work hygiene habits around um you know when I open up the email app that is there because like I want to do work but and I have time to do it but I'm not going to be like peeing on the toilet and hearing my phone vibrate and now needing to like respond to someone that's how bad it was getting right and (laughs) <laughs> you know, that sounds funny, but the reality is like most of us, I don't know, I, actually, I <laughs> can't yep. say this sounds weird. I've never like peered over the the loo, but I feel like I am on my phone most of the time when I'm there. Or I used to be anyways, and I think most people do the same is my story. I could be completely wrong because I'm not a creepy stalker. But, you know, I think like I've gotten better now at, you know, actually <laughs> taking that time to just like breathe if I'm like going to the toilet and just like to stop and just be like present in that moment as opposed to you know, need to stimulate my attention with, you know, reading a news update or responding to an email or a text. And so I think, you know, intentionality around hygiene with notifications for me has been huge. Like that was life changing for me. And also, I think just starting to accept that I'm never going to have inbox zero and that's okay. And I could have inbox zero, but what I would need to do to have inbox zero would be far worse than... Like, sorry, I would lose so much from my life to get to Inbox Zero that it's not worth it. And I think I've just gotten better at being okay with kind of like managing the stress of knowing that I haven't gone back to a few people for a day. I haven't gone back to some people for a week, some people maybe for two months. And you know what? I respond like in order of priority. And sorry, if you're not on that highest priority, like I'm not going to get to you for a while. And I'm a little bit like unapologetic about that, I guess, just because I don't think because you have emailed me, I have to email you back. Um, within a time frame, And I think that to me is, I know a bit odd thing to say, but I think it's a bit of my Australian culture in that, you know, which is very different to America. We, we've genuinely, and I don't say this in a mean way, but I feel like in Australia, we kind of like work to live. Whereas in America, I just find a lot of the behaviors I see a lot of people doing is living to work. And I don't think you need to do that to be successful. Um, and it can help for sure. But I think sometimes people lose touch of why they are doing what they are doing. Um, and so, yeah, that's just been kind of like a big learning curve for me.
0: No, I think that's a really interesting way to think about it. Cause I know for me, I very similar situation. I had all my notifications on and I got to a point probably two years ago where I was just like, I literally can't deal with yeah. like notifications on my phone unless it's like an emergency. <laughs> or, or like a text. So I turned like all that stuff off because it was just, it was too much. Like I kept my note, like my notification on like emails. So it'll tell me how many emails I have or whatever, but like, it would no longer show up on my lock screen. It yeah. doesn't, you know, my phone doesn't vibrate for all that stuff because it becomes overwhelming. And then you can't, like, I was finding myself, I couldn't have a few minutes to like process yeah. anything I was yeah. doing because I was beeping or vibrating somewhere. <laughs> and you, you just can't focus, which is, But it's also at the same token, when you move from being someone who responds to, you know, emails, LinkedIn messages, tweets, slacks, et cetera, pretty rapidly, no matter what time of day it is, it, when you change to that, I know for me, people were like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I just need like better balance. Was that, do you have any similar stories of that similar to you where people kind of like, oh, why are you taking me taking a couple of days to respond to me? Or did people not notice
1: Great question. Um, oh Gosh, I don't know. I, no one actually asked me about that. Um, I mean, I probably, if anything, would have been telling people. Like I would have said to them, you know, in our senior leadership team meetings, sorry, guys, I'm literally in back-to-back meetings like for the next three weeks from like 8 a.m. to like 7 p.m. So I have a very small window to get like to my email and I'm like apologize to you all. But like so I, I think I would call that out just – In terms of, you know, I was just being vulnerable with folks and letting them know the reality that if I'm not getting back to them, it's not because they're not important and stuff. It's just that like there are some other big things that are are more important for me to focus on right now.
0: If you can't tell, I've known Ryan for many years from our time working together at Exact Target and Salesforce. He's an incredibly talented marketer, and it's been so much fun to watch his career just really excel. Plus, he's extremely enjoyable to chat with, and that's why I'm breaking my conversation with Ryan into two episodes. So let's dive into my top three takeaways from the first part of our conversation, and then I'll share what you can expect to hear from the rest of my interview with Ryan in next week's episode. First, imposter syndrome is real, and I don't think I've met a marketer who hasn't felt like an imposter at some point in their career. Personally, I loved hearing Ryan's take on how he handles the situation, since he's often felt it when he's changed companies and jumped up one or two levels. He's made such a great point about how you're likely to feel like an imposter when you're being pushed outside of your comfort zone in your career, and it's okay. You will figure out how to succeed, you will hit your goals, and you're likely gonna fail a bit too, and that's okay. I wish more marketers would realize that none of us really have it all figured out, no matter what social media or our title might say. Next, no matter how happy you are in your current position at your current company, it never hurts to take a call from a recruiter when they reach out about another company or position that interests you. It doesn't mean that you have to leave. It only means that you're always keeping your options open. You never know when your dream job might come up, might come calling and you don't want to miss out on it. In fact, that's how Ryan and I both ended up in our current positions because someone reached out to us to see if we might be interested in learning more. And even if you're not interested after talking with them, think about whether or not you know someone who might be interested. I know I've done this numerous times because I happen to know other talented leaders that were looking for their next role at the same time. I've always found recruiters to be extremely appreciative when you take the time to help connect them with someone else who might be a fit. Plus, if you're a leader, you should consider having the same perspective with your own team. Ryan and I both encourage our teams to always take a call or a coffee with someone that's trying to recruit them. I know this probably sounds crazy to most of you because who actually encourages their own team to talk to recruiters from other companies? Well, first of all, we're not actually encouraging them to seek recruiters out, so don't freak out. We're just saying that if a recruiter happens to reach out to them, there's no harm in talking. It's our job as a leader to ensure they're happy in their current role. And if not, then we need to do whatever we can to make sure we're all challenging them enough and giving them the types of responsibilities they desire. I don't consider it a failure when someone leaves on my team to take a promotion at another company and that's because I've almost always known this was a possibility because we've had open conversations about it for months prior. There will be times in any company where your team, someone on your team is ready to move on to the next step in their career and you can't provide that to them based on where your company is currently at and that's okay. That's why I always tell my team, when they get to that point in their career, I'll help them find what's next for them if I can't provide it for them. To me, the only real real failure in this situation is if someone on my team turns on their notice and I didn't see it coming at all. Finally, Don't feel like you have to achieve inbox zero. This has been a pet peeve of mine since that concept first came out. And I was so glad to hear that Ryan has a similar feeling as me on the subject because I was beginning to think I was the only one who felt like it was never possible. If you can get to inbox zero, good for you. By all means, keep doing it. But if you're like me and Ryan and don't think it's possible given there are other priorities, then that's cool too. Do whatever works best for you and don't judge others for how they manage their email inbox, LinkedIn mail, Slacks, tweets, and so on. Now, make sure you check out next week's episode with Ryan and I. We're going to go real deep talking about mental health and why he's been so open with his own mental health. It's a refreshing and honest conversation that I think all of us can benefit from hearing. I'm Stephanie Cox, and you've been listening to Mobile Matters. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Until then, be sure to visit limovate.com and subscribe to get more access to thought leaders, best practices, and all things mobile.